Section 19 of The Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section 19. Book 4. Part 6. But thee, Canthus, the fates of death seized in Libya. On pasturing flocks didst thou light, and there followed a shepherd, who, in defence of his own sheep, while thou weft leading them off to thy comrades in their need, slew thee by the cast of a stone. For he was no weakling, Cephorus, the grandson of Lycorean Phoebus, and the chaste maiden Acacallus, whom once Minos drove from home to dwell in Libya, his own daughter, when she was bearing the gods' heavy load. And she bare to Phoebus a glorious son, whom they called Amphithemus and Garamus. And Amphithemus wedded a Tritonian nymph, and she bare to him Nasamon and strong Cephorus, who on that day, in defending his sheep, slew Canthus. But he escaped not the chieftain's avenging hands, when they learned the deed he had done. And the Minii, when they knew it, afterwards took up the corpse and buried it in the earth, mourning, and the sheep they took with them. Thereupon, on the same day, a pitiless fate seized Mopsus too, son of Ampicus, and he escaped not a bitter doom by his prophesying, for there is no averting of death. Now there lay in the sand, avoiding the midday heat, a dread serpent, too sluggish of his own will to strike at an unwilling foe, nor yet would he dart full face at one that would shrink back. But into whatever of all living beings that life-giving earth sustains, that serpent once injects his black venom, his path to Hades becomes not so much as a cubit's length, not even in Paeon, if it is right for me to say this openly, should tend him, when its teeth have only grazed the skin. For when over Libya flew godlike Perseus Eurymedon, for by that name his mother called him, bearing to the king the gorgon's head newly severed, all the drops of dark blood that fell to the earth produced a brood of those serpents. Now Mopsus stepped on the end of its spine, setting thereon the sole of his left foot, and it writhed round in pain, and bit and tore the flesh between the shin and the muscles. And Medea and her handmaids fled in terror. But Canthus bravely felt the bleeding wound, for no excessive pain harassed him. Poor wretch! Already a numbness that loosed his limbs was stealing beneath his skin, and a thick mist was spreading over his eyes. Straightway his heavy limbs sank helplessly to the ground, and he grew cold and his comrades and the hero, Aeson's son, gathered round, marvelling at the close-coming doom. Nor yet, though dead, might he lie beneath the sun, even for a little space. For at once the poison began to rot his flesh within, and the hair decayed and fell from the skin. And quickly and in haste they dug a deep grave with mattocks of bronze, and they tore their hair, the heroes and the maidens, bewailing the dead man's piteous suffering, and when he had received due burial rites, thrice they marched round the tomb in full armour, and heaped above him a mound of earth. 
but when they had gone aboard, as the south wind blew over the sea, and they were searching for a passage to go forth from the Tritonian lake, for long they had no device, but all the day were borne on aimlessly. And as a serpent goes writhing along his crooked path when the sun's fiercest rays scorch him, and with a hiss he turns his head to this side and that, and in his fury his eyes glow like sparks of fire, until he creeps to his lair through a cleft in the rock. So Argo, seeking an outlet from the lake, a fairway for ships, wandered for a long time. Then straightway Orpheus bade them bring forth from the ship Apollo's massy tripod and offer it to the gods of the land as propitiation for their return. So they went forth and set Apollo's gift on the shore. Then before them stood in the form of a youth, far-swaying Triton, and he lifted a clod from the earth and offered it as a stranger's gift, and thus spake. Take it, friends, for no stranger's gift of great worth have I here by me now to place in the hands of those who beseech me. But if ye are searching for a passage through this sea, as often is the need of men passing through a strange land, I will declare it. For my sire Poseidon has made me to be well versed in this sea, and I rule the shore if haply in your distant land you have ever heard of Eurypylus, born in Libya, the home of wild beasts. Thus he spake, and readily Euphemus held out his hands towards the clod, and thus addressed him in reply. If haply, hero, thou knowest aught of Apis and the sea of Minos, tell us truly, who ask it of you? For not of our will have we come hither, but by the stress of heavy storms have we touched the borders of this land, and have borne our ship aloft on our shoulders to the waters of this lake over the mainland, grievously burdened. And we know not where a passage shows itself for our course to the land of Pelops. So he spake, and Triton stretched out his hand, and showed afar the sea and the lake's deep mouth, and then addressed them. That is the outlet to the sea, where the deep water lies unmoved and dark. On each side roll white breakers with shining crests, and the way between for your passage out is narrow. And that sea stretches away in mist to the divine land of Pelops beyond Crete. But hold to the right, when ye have entered the swell of the sea from the lake, and steer your course hugging the land, as long as it trends to the north. But when the coast bends, falling away in the other direction, then your course is safely laid for you if ye go straight forward from the projecting cape. But go in joy, and as for labour, let there be no grieving that limbs in youthful vigour should still toil. He spake with kindly counsel, and they at once went aboard, intent to come forth from the lake by the use of oars, and eagerly they sped on. Meanwhile Triton took up the mighty tripod, and they saw him enter the lake. But thereafter did no one mark how he vanished so near them along with the tripod. But their hearts were cheered, for that one of the blessed had met them in friendly guise. And they bade Aeson's son offer to him the choicest of the sheep, and when he had slain it, chant the hymn of praise. And straightway he chose in haste, and raising the victim, slew it over the stern, and prayed with these words, Thou God, who hast manifested thyself on the borders of this land, whether the daughters born of the sea call thee Triton, the great sea-marvel, 
or Phores, or Nereus, be gracious, and grant the return home dear to our hearts. He spake, and cut the victim's throat over the water, and cast it from the stern, and the god rose up from the depths in form such as he really was. And as when a man trains a swift steed for the broad race-course, and runs along, grasping the bushy mane, while the steed follows obeying his master, and rears his neck aloft in his pride, and the gleaming bit rings loud as he champs it in his jaws from side to side, so the god, seizing hollow Argo's keel, guided her onward to the sea, and his body, from the crown of his head, round his back and waist as far as the belly, was wondrously like that of the blessed ones in form. But below his sides the tail of a sea monster lengthened far, forking to this side and that, and he smote the surface of the waves with the spines, which below parted into curving fins, like the horns of the new moon. And he guided Argo on until he sped her into the sea on her course, and quickly he plunged into the vast abyss, and the heroes shouted when they gazed with their eyes on that dread portent. There is the harbour of Argo, and there are signs of a stay, and altars to Poseidon and Triton. For during that day they tarried. But at dawn, with sails outspread, they sped on before the breath of the west wind, keeping the desert land on their right. And on the next morn they saw the headland, and on the next morn they saw the headland and the recess of the sea, bending inward beyond the jutting headland. And straightway the west wind ceased, and there came the breeze of the clear south wind, and their hearts rejoiced at the sound it made. But when the sun sank, and the star returned, that bids the shepherd fold, which brings rest to weary ploughmen. All that time the wind died down in the dark night. So they furled the sails and lowered the tall mast and vigorously plied their polished oars all night and through the day, and again when the next night came on. And rugged Carpathus far away welcomed them, and thence they were to cross to Crete, which rises in the sea above other islands. And Talos, the man of bronze, when he broke off rocks from the hard cliff, stayed them from fastening horses to the shore, when they came to the roadstead of Dicte's haven. He was of the stock of bronze, of the men sprung from ash-trees, the last left among the sons of the gods, and the son of Cronos gave him to Europa, to be the warder of Crete, and to stride round the island thrice a day with his feet of bronze. Now in all the rest of his body and limbs was he fashioned of bronze and invulnerable, but beneath the sinew by his ankle was a blood-red vein, and this, with its issues of life and death, was covered by a thin skin. So the heroes, though outworn with toil, quickly backed their ship from the land in sore dismay. And now far from Crete would they have been borne in wretched plight, distressed both by thirst and pain, had not Medea addressed them as they turned away. Hearken to thee, for I deem that I alone can subdue for you that man, whoever he be, even though his frame be of bronze, throughout, unless his life too is everlasting. But be ready to keep your ship here beyond the cast of his stones, till he yield the victory to me. Thus she spake, and they drew the ship out of range, resting on their oars, waiting to see what plan unlooked for she would bring to pass. And she, holding the fold of a purple robe over her cheeks on each side, mounted on the deck. And Aeson's son took her hand in his, and guided her way along the thwarts, 
and with songs did she propitiate and invoke the dead spirits, devourers of life, the swift hounds of Hades, who hovering through all the air, swooped down on the living. Kneeling in supplication, thrice she called on them with songs, and thrice with prayers, and shaping her soul to mischief, with her hostile glance, she bewitched the eyes of Talos, the man of bronze, and her teeth gnashed bitter wrath against him, and she sent forth baneful phantoms in the frenzy of her rage. Father Zeus, surely great wonder rises in my mind, seeing that dire destruction meets us not from disease and wounds alone, but lo, even from afar, maybe it tortures us. So Talos, for all his frame of bronze, yielded the victory to the might of Medea the sorceress. And as he was heaving massy rocks to stay them from reaching the haven, he grazed his ankle on a pointed crag, and the ichor gushed forth like melted lead, and not long thereafter did he stand towering on the jutting cliff. But even as some huge pine, high up on the mountains, which woodmen have left half-hewn through by their sharp axes, when they returned from the forest, at first it shivers in the wind by night, then at last snaps at the stump and crashes down. So Talos, for a while, stood on his tireless feet, swaying to and fro, when at last all strengthless fell with a mighty thud. For that night, there in Crete, the heroes lay. Then, just as dawn was growing bright, they built a shrine to Minoan Athena, and drew water and went aboard, so that first of all they might, by rowing, pass beyond Salmone's height. But straightway, as they sped over the wide Cretan sea, night scared them. That night, which they name the Pall of Darkness, the stars pierced not that fatal night, nor the beams of the moon, but black chaos descended from heaven, or haply some other darkness came, rising from the nethermost depths, and the heroes, whether they drifted in Hades or on the waters, knew not one whit, but they committed their return to the sea in helpless doubt whither it was bearing them. But Jason raised his hands and cried to Phoebus with mighty voice, calling on him to save them, and the tears ran down in his distress, and often did he promise to bring countless offerings to Pytho, to Amyclae, and to Ortygia. And quickly, O son of Leto, swift to hear, didst thou come down from heaven to the Melantian rocks which lie there in the sea. Then, darting upon one of the twin peaks, thou raisedst aloft in thy right hand thy golden bow, and the bow flashed a dazzling gleam all round. And to their sight appeared a small island of the Sporades, over against the tiny island Hipparis, and there they cast anchor and stayed. And straightway dawn arose and gave them light, and they made for Apollo a glorious abode in a shady wood, and a shady altar calling on Phoebus the Gleamer, because of the gleam far seen. And that bare island they called Anaphi, for that Phoebus had revealed it to men sore bewildered. And they sacrificed all that men could provide for sacrifice on a desolate strand. Wherefore, when Medea's Phaeacian handmaids saw them pouring water for libations on the burning brands, they could no longer restrain laughter within their bosoms, for that ever they had seen oxen in plenty slain in the halls of Alcinous, and the heroes delighted in the jest and attacked them with taunting words, and the merry railing and contention flung to and fro were kindled among them, 
and from that sport of the heroes such scoffs do the women fling at the men in that island whenever they propitiate with sacrifices apollo the gleaming god the warder of anaphy but when they had loosed the horsers thence in fair weather then euphemus bethought him of a dream of the night reverencing the glorious son of maya for it seemed to him that the god-given clod of earth held in his palm close to his breast was being suckled by white streams of milk and that from it little though it was grew a woman like a virgin and he overcome by strong desire lay with her in love's embrace and united with her he pitied her as though she were a maiden whom he was feeding with his own milk but she comforted him with gentle words daughter of triton am i dear friend and nurse of thy children no maiden triton and libya are my parents but restore me to the daughters of nereus to dwell in the sea near anaphi i shall return again to the light of the sun to prepare a home for thy descendants of this he stored in his heart the memory and declared it to aeson's son and jason pondered a prophecy of the far darter and lifted up his voice and said my friend great and glorious renown has fallen to thy lot for of this clod when thou hast cast it into the sea the gods will make an island where thy children's children shall dwell for triton gave this to thee as a stranger's gift from the libyan mainland none other of the immortals it was than he had gave thee this when he met thee thus he spake and euphemus made not vain the answer of aeson's son but cheered by the prophecy he cast the clod into the depths therefrom rose up an island calisti sacred nurse of the sons of euphemus who in former days dwelt in cintian lemnos and from lemnos were driven forth by tyrrhenians and came to sparta as suppliants and when they left sparta theras the goodly son of otician brought them to the island calisti and from himself he gave it the name of thera but this befell after the days of euphemus and thence they steadily left behind long leagues of sea and stayed on the beach of aegina and at once they contended in innocent strife about the fetching of water who first should draw it and reach the ship for both their need and the ceaseless breeze urged them on there even to this day do the youths of the myrmidons take up on their shoulders full brimming jars and with swift feet strive for victory in the race be gracious race of blessed chieftains and may these songs year after year be sweeter to sing among men for now have i come to the glorious end of your toils for no adventure befell you as ye came home from aegina and no tempest of winds opposed you but quietly did ye skirt the cecropian land and aulis inside of euboea and the opuntian cities of the locrians and gladly did ye step forth upon the beach of pagasai end of section 19 read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama end of the argonautica by apollonius rhodius translated by r c seaton